When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Welcome everyone to the latest episode of the Liverpool.com podcast. I'm your host, David Comerford, and I'm joined once again by the Liverpool.com editor, Matt Addison. And on the back of his performance in the Merseyside derby, where he was arguably Liverpool's best player, we're going to have a look at Virgil van Dijk today. We've looked at him a couple of times on this podcast in the past few months. We looked at him in the summer as part of our deep dives into Liverpool's centre-backs and earlier in the season when we talked about his contract situation. But our focus today is a little bit different. We're going to look at whether he's still the best centre-back in the Premier League and potentially still the best centre-back in the world too. So, Matt, um, I think I've started a few of these podcasts with numerical-type questions, but for this one, if we're saying Virgil van Dijk 2019, when obviously he came close to winning the Ballon d'Or, if that player was a 10 out of 10, what number would you put him at now and what would the number have been last season? Yeah, I mean, it's always tricky, isn't it? Um, I think he was, by a distance, the best defender in the world, so I can see why you give 10 out of 10, but then, you know, how do you sort of work backwards from that? It, it, it's a little bit tricky. I think... I'd go broadly probably an eight now. Um, possibly, I think there's there's a chance that he'll get back to a nine again. Mm. Is he going to get back to, to what he was four years ago? Probably not. But, you know, I still think he is one of, of the best out there. So probably, yeah, I'd probably go eight at the moment with the potential to go to a nine. Mm. Where last season, I suppose it depends if if we're comparing him to other centre-backs or whether we're comparing him to, to himself. Uh, but probably probably closer to a five or a six probably yeah. last season. Um, look, part of that, as we'll come to, I think was probably other factors. I think there was probably a few players that didn't look as good as what they are just because of the chaos and the mess that was last season. Um, I think if you have a, a functioning midfield in front of him last mm-hmm. season, he probably looks very different. Um, th- there's, there's lots of factors to bring into it, but there's no doubt he wasn't as good last season. Mm-hmm. For me, this is the best he's looked for, for a long time uh, from what we've seen at the moment. But again, no coincidence that Liverpool have got players in front of him that can run and can keep the ball. That, that probably helps if you're a centre-back that you don't have to you know, win it back every single every single second of the game. Yeah, I want to come back come back to that in a second, actually, because I think that is a really important point. But just to kind of look, look at this season a bit more in terms of his individual form, first of all, um, just a few stats, really, that kind of show how good he's been so far. He's one of only three centre-backs not to be dribbled past this season alongside Kurt Zuma and William Saliba. He's fifth in the league among all outfielders for ground duel success, 75%. And despite missing two matches, he's third for aerial duels one overall um, and sixth among centre-backs for success rates at just over 80%. So 
do we think the version of Benjamin Dyke we're seeing this season, it might not be the the pre-ACL version of Van Dyke, but if we think back to that season where Liverpool won the quadruple, he was still probably the best in the world. Is, is it basically comparable to that, would you say, in terms of the level that he's at? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see it for a little bit longer before we can kind of get to that level. And obviously Liverpool not in the Champions League, that will help him in terms of, of not having as many minutes. But I think it's probably a little bit harder to probably judge where he's at. I think if you can see him consistently, as obviously when Liverpool went for the quadruple, there was you know, Premier League and, and Champions League group stage games at this point. Obviously, he's not really going to be massively involved in the Europa League until after Christmas at least. Even if he is, it's not telling us a great deal if he plays well against the, the teams that Liverpool are up against. So it's it, it, it's probably the case that he is at that level again. I think that would probably be a fair argument to make, but you probably haven't got quite as much evidence as what you would like to, to make a, a definitive statement in terms of that. But I think what we've seen so far is you know a, a much cooler and calmer version. That was obviously a, a big thing when he was at his best. I think probably last season... The chaos around him didn't help, yeah. but there was a few times where you know, he was maybe a bit more rash than what you'd think, mm. or he was maybe even caught out of position a couple of times and, and maybe didn't quite have the pace to get back into those positions where he needed to be. You know, Maybe he was trying to do a couple of people's jobs or he was maybe just a, a little bit lethargic. I think he, he spoke himself possibly around the, the derby. It might have been a little bit before that around. You know, inevitably, you go for the quadruple, you don't quite do it. There was a bit of a, a malaise. I think he, yeah. he spoke about it from a squad perspective rather than an individual perspective. But I think it's fair to say probably he felt that as much as, as anybody else did. So, yeah, without having a huge sample size, I would say he's, he's definitely close to, if not at the levels that he was at you know, before last season and, and before that fairly substantial decline. Yeah, I mean, you are right about the sample size. He's played uh, seven Premier League matches so far, obviously suspended for a couple, talked himself into an extra game after that Newcastle red card. Um, Played the first Europa League game against Lask, but was on the bench for the second. We're recording this before the game against Toulouse. Obviously, Liverpool's third match was if he's involved in that one. He was also obviously on the bench for the League Cup too. So, not too much game time, but that's obviously a bit of a blessing for Liverpool. Like you say, me and last year, we saw him actually pick up a, a muscle injury for what I think was the first time in his whole Liverpool career. Um, so, you know, managing him can only be a good thing. Just to revisit what you were saying then, Matt, about the midfield. I mean... When we think about what's changed from last year in terms of Van Dyke's improvement, is that sort of the only thing we should be talking about? Was there an element as well of, you know, obviously the midfield didn't help him at all, the lack of protection there, but was it maybe rather than kind of a permanent decline last year, were we seeing maybe a bit of just a, a prolonged loss of form as well? Yeah, I think there's, there's a few factors at play, isn't there? The, the midfield didn't help. I think he individually didn't have a great season, but I think there are sort of mitigations around that. I think it's it's probably easier, for example, to, to take the, the Everton game where I think he he does really well against Calvert-Lewin. Obviously, Beto comes on and, and, and he does well to, to keep Everton at bay in terms of what they wanted to do in terms of getting themselves up the pitch. But I think it's probably a lot easier to, to win those duels in the knowledge that you've got a midfield in front of you that if you do win that duel, you know that they're going to pick up the second ball yep. or you know that you do that once and then you might not have to do it for 10 or 15 minutes because mm -hmm. the midfielders are going to keep uh, you know, keep hold of possession yeah. and, and be able to, to, to stop you having to, to do that. I think there were probably times last season where he's almost not in two minds because obviously you want to win that duel and you want to you know come out on top in, in that battle. But there was probably bits of last season where he just thinks, 
there's almost no point in me winning this because if I win it, we're not going to win the second ball. If I win it, you know, there'll still be another attack in 30 seconds where somebody else comes after us and, and we, we have to do it. And it, it just it, it feels now where there's almost a little bit more clarity in terms of if he wins those duels, he knows that that will be uh, definitive. Yeah, a yeah. definitive moment in the game. It'll help his team go on and win that game. It'll you know make sure that they maintain that control. You know before and after these duels are taking place, Liverpool yeah. are in you know a, a good standing within the game and, and they're able to create chances and sustain pressure and make sure that he's not having to do that so often. So I'm sure that's not a conscious thing, but I think subconsciously there's probably an element of if the rest of the team is working at its peak, it probably helps the individuals. Van Dijk being one of them, others as well. But I think that probably plays into it to, to a certain degree as well. Yeah, and I think sort of what you're touching on there, it sounds more like what he's used to this year. You know, yeah. where he kind of built his his reputation at Liverpool was was with a midfield that, yeah, I mean, maybe didn't have the quality that the current one has. But, you know, you've got, you know, Fabinho, Henderson, Wijnaldum. I mean, at their peak, they were, you know, absolutely everywhere, really. And they did. They were, they were so industrious that a lot of the time they did sort of, Give Virgil van Dijk, you know, not too much to do. Obviously, he had his moments where he was kind of that last line of defence, but a lot of the time he was used to kind of operating with that shield. Um, and obviously, like, it's not a knock on him that he struggled without that necessarily because, you know, a lot of elite centre-backs, you know, with the very top teams, will come on some of those later do obviously enjoy that protection. It's, it's almost well. like we quite often have the conversation about the sign of a good goalkeeper is that he doesn't have to do anything, but then the yeah. one thing he does have to do, he does perfectly. Yeah. And obviously, Alisson can do that, but mm. I think that applies at, at centre-back as well. If if you're Virgil van Dijk and you only have to make one great interception in a match, I think you can be fairly happy that he's going to do that. If you're putting him under pressure every five minutes and he's having to make these decisions loads and loads of times, yeah. obviously, you know... Uh, it, it, it's almost a better sign that you're a better defender if you can deal with it every five minutes and you can do that. But the mark of, of a good team and a, an improved Liverpool performance is that it doesn't have to happen often. So if it doesn't have to ha happen often, you know, there's the certain players, Dan Lovren, for example, if you put him into that, mm. you couldn't be so sure that he'd be able to, to come out the other side of it. Where I think that's, that's the sign of, of what you want to see from Liverpool as a collective is that Van Dijk doesn't have to do as much yeah. The stuff that he does do, you know that he's going to do it. And if he doesn't, Alisson will do that behind him anyway. Yeah, I think that's the thing with Alisson as well. Is like we had this thing last year where he was really proven that he was the best goalkeeper in the world. But you wanted him to have games like he's actually having against Everton at the weekend, where he has to catch that header from Calvert Lewin. Other yeah. than that, it's just all about his distribution, really. Like in, in a certain way, as much as you obviously want these players to show how great they are, it's not a good sign. Liverpool if they don't have to do that you know every five ten minutes in a match like you say um one thing that kind of sprung to mind there as you were talking Matt is about Van Dijk's attitude you know there was a lot of players criticized for their sort of um not necessarily application levels but maybe their approach last year body language um, maybe, yeah. yeah body language is, is a good way of putting it and obviously Van Dijk was one of those Liverpool fans are sort of when they sort of serenade and they talk about, you know, calm as you like and all that. Yeah. But maybe last year it was it was too calm, too lax at certain moments. Do you think that kind of approach, I mean, I don't know if he's changed it this year, but does that kind of approach lend itself more to the current Liverpool side where there is more dominance and more control and you can just operate with a bit more authority? Because last year it ended up being a little bit more frantic and that's why maybe Van Dijk looked a little bit um, out of place at times. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I, I think it, it links back with what we were saying before about the, the team as a collective really has to, to be at 
the best to get the best out of, of the individuals and, and Van Dijk is, is definitely one of those but I think it, it probably helps that there probably wasn't that many times last season where he was able to get on the ball for example I know Mikel Arteta has spoken in the past about how big a weapon it is for Liverpool to have you know Van Dijk being able to take the ball under pressure and ping balls out to the wings and, and things like that you know I, we haven't seen loads of it this season. I think we will probably see a little bit more of it as, as the season progresses. But, you know, it's it's things like that, really, where it's not him as a typical defender doing the defensive things, but you start to see other bits of his game. Yeah. You know, all we saw last season was him having to run back towards his own goal because there was a counter-attack and, and nobody else could cope with it and it was kind of on him. I don't think that's ever, you know, a, a circumstance. If, if the rest of the team just look at you and go, well, we can't run, so... You have to do it. I don't think that's ever going to be, you know, realistic for, for him to deal with that every single time. So, yeah, I think it, it all it all ties into that point, really. I think we've seen a substantial increase in other areas, and that's had a knock-on effect on him, and then that has a knock-on effect on, on other areas, and it all kind of ties in together, really. So that's that's what we knew would be the case. It, it's obviously trickier to, to actually put that into place, but I think Liverpool deserve a lot of credit for what they've done with the midfield, with the players that they've brought in, how quickly they've adapted. I know there's been you know, conversations about McAllister and you know, we've had it on this podcast for, you know, is that his best position? No, but I think it's, you know, su- substantially increased enough and probably Virgil van Dijk is, is the evidence that mm. we've seen a substantial increase in his performance. There's, there's definitely reasons for that. And I think the midfield is, is definitely the biggest. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Whether it's the legendary Lionesses, grassroots or expert analysis of the women's leagues, Women's Football News has it all covered. A brand new monthly magazine packed with news, interviews and expert opinion. Don't miss Women's Football News. Pick up a copy today from participating retailers. Women's Football is here to stay. And so are we. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, not even just him. Obviously, you know, we've seen Sobersly and, and Jones. I think their defensive work yeah. rate has both been excellent. And also, I mean, well, I think one of the things last year that Klopp mentioned in press conferences was that the, he didn't think the high press was, was doing very well. And maybe it's not been that pronounced this season because it's obviously been three games. we will have had a red card. So you're not going to be pressing high up the pitch. But I do think that, you know, he's mentioned, for example, that Nunez has improved in that regard. Um, and obviously, the other players that he signed, you know, Gakpo coming in this year, for example, you know, players are maybe getting a little bit more used to what Klopp wants from them. And yeah. there's a new side, but at the same time, it looks like they're doing more of what Klopp wants um, in they, those out-of-possession situations. They don't give the ball away either. You know, Curtis yeah, Jones is, you know, above 90% pass completion in the Premier mm-hmm. League, which is, you know, incredible really for a player in, in the positions that he's picking up. I know Harvey Elliott was very good at that and has been when he's come off the bench in recent matches. You know, Sobosly, even Luis Diaz, in terms of, taking Liverpool up the pitch. Yeah. If you've got those players who can relieve the pressure, again, it, it plays into the kind of, you know, you're just asking your defence to do a lot less. It, it probably it is a big thing as well when you think of where Trent's playing. There's probably a little bit more emphasis, maybe not on Van Dijk in particular, but on the centre-backs to, to mm. shift across and do a bit more covering and a bit more yeah. of, of that kind of thing. But 
again, you can do that when the team functions at its best. Liverpool is is a team where it's it's set up to be almost perfection. If if you perfect it, then you're the best team in the world. Yeah. But if there's one or two bits that fall apart, suddenly the whole thing kind of crumbles. Yeah, yeah. yeah a, a bit of a domino effect. Yeah, I think another point there is obviously we've seen you know Trent moving into midfield, Canate has more space to cover all Matip or whoever plays there. Interestingly, there was a lot of concern in, in pre-season that Robertson wasn't going to be a fit um, for this new system, that he was going to kind of get forward too much. But I don't think there's been too many situations where Van Dijk's been sort of in the sort of mirror image of Canate on that side. So I think maybe Robertson deserves some credit as well for kind of the yeah. discipline he's shown in that position. And just to touch on something you said before as well about kind of the passes, I mean... Really, we're kind of looking at things today through sort of the you know defensive prism, but that is obviously a huge part of, of what Van Dijk has to offer as well. So I guess we shouldn't overlook that either. But I want to move on now to um, some verdicts from Liverpool legends, some of the players that Van Dijk's been kind of ranked alongside or, or indeed above um, in Jamie Carragher and Sammy Heppier. And just kind of get your reaction, Matt, to, to what they've been saying recently. Um, so Carragher wrote a column about Van Dijk before the derby and he said, Recent criticisms of his performance are based on how good Van Dijk was. Defensively, Van Dijk has gone from being a superhuman to a human, but he remains one of the top four central defenders in the Premier League. We'll come on to that um, second bit about his sort of relative ranking a bit later on. But do you think the bit above is a pretty fair assessment of where Van Dijk's at at this stage of his career? Yeah, I mean, he's he's probably not superhuman anymore. Mm -hmm. I think there are going to be times where you can get the better of him I think there's maybe certain players who will fancy the chances a little bit more of, of being able to outpace him I think that was probably something that we saw I can't remember what the stat was but it was said almost every week but when he was at his peak of the, nobody for however many games it was had managed to dribble past him and you know I, I think maybe there's there's a bit of a perception now probably rightly, that he's not the player that he once was and maybe that plays into it as well. I think the, the kind of aura of Van Dijk maybe did some of the defending for him at certain times. You know, People probably looked at him and thought, well, no one else has got past him, so I, I'm not even going to try. I think there's there's maybe an element of, of teams are, are more prepared to go up against him now. I think there was 15 duels between him and, and Calvert-Lewin, for example, where I would imagine that probably Sean Dyche would have just said, you, you target whoever's next to him. You know, yeah. two or three years ago, you wouldn't even mm. you wouldn't even go up against him and, and try that. You'd just target somebody else and, and try and get in in a different way. So maybe there's there's a bit of a drop off in that. So yeah, I think I think that's a, a fair a fair assessment of where he's at. Really, I don't think he deserves criticism this season. Um, I, I don't think that the red card was necessarily a huge error from from his part. I think it was was one where he, he thought he could get the ball, probably could have gone either way. There's been a substantial improvement on last season, so mm. I've no, I've no massive complaints really. As, as we'll come to, I still think he's he's right up there with with the best of them. Yeah, I um, I just quickly looked up that stat about um to hit the dribble pass record, um, while you were talking there, Matt. Um, it was Nicolas Pepe who ended the run, um, in August 2019, and it stretched back to March 2018, which was exactly 50 appearances. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that did used to be a a thing almost every weekend. Whilst we haven't necessarily been able to, to speak about it much since, like like I said earlier, it hasn't happened yet this season. So who knows if he's about to embark on another uh, 50 game run. But one thing that the superhuman sort of comment reminds me of is remember that moment in the uh, Champions League? I think it was, I think it was around the 16 against Inter Milan. 
um, in 21-22 and, and Lautaro Martinez was um, sort of running at him and he must have been about 25 yards out and instead of taking him on he just takes on the most sort of wild shot possible and then it flies into the stands and that I think is the moment even if it wasn't sort of absolute peak Van Dijk that is the moment a lot of people look back on and say that absolutely epitomised the sort of it was this sort of reverse relationship where normally you talk about a striker sort of instills fear into defenders at this time this is the way around and I agree with you Matt that maybe that isn't quite there anymore and people are maybe a little bit more confident that they can take him on but I still think for the most part I mean I read the stats out at the start of the podcast for the most part he is still going to win those battles it's just you know he's probably going to find himself um, taking on a little bit more now than he would have been in the past um, so yeah like, like I say um, let's move on to what Sammy Hippie said as well because that was also quite interesting I thought um, and again this is quite a, a recent comment so he said um, he's one of the best in the business and in the world. I think he's raised a standard with everyone expecting him to play at that level every time, and that's very difficult. I think this season he's shown in some games he's still at the level, and I have no doubt he'll be the best centre-back in the league this season. That kind of gets you thinking, Matt. Is Van Dijk a, a victim of his own success? Because kind of looking back to what Carragher said as well, it feels like we've lost sight of his standing within the game, which is obviously what we're trying to establish today, but we've lost sight of that because we're so focused on the previous version and him being, you know, 80% of that or wherever he is, that we're not thinking, hang on, independent of that context, he's still world-class, he's still one of the very best out there. Yeah, yeah, and it's impossible to know in terms of, of the injury how much that played into it. I think it probably did to a large extent, but he is just a little bit older now, he's played a lot more football, maybe there would have been a, a certain level of, of decline to a certain point anyway, but I, I, still, I still think it, it's hard to name many, if any, who are ahead of him in the mm. Premier League. I know there was a big conversation about William Saliba last season. Is he anywhere near what Van Dijk was at his peak? Absolutely not. He might one day become that, but I've not seen I've not seen anything to suggest that he's even at Van Dijk's level at, at this moment in time of, of the, the current version of, of Van Dijk. So yeah, he is he is absolutely one of the best in the business. He has raised the standard for himself, but probably for, for others as yeah. well. I think one of the things we've not mentioned on the show so far is probably the biggest barometer almost of, of him at his best was how good he made those around him look. Yeah. I think Joel Matip is, is a very good footballer, but I don't think he would have been quite at that level without being next to Van Dijk. Yeah. Probably Joe Gomez as well. There was you know a full season. Uh, it was the season Liverpool won the league, I think, wasn't it, where he played most often with, yeah. with Van Dijk. Joe Gomez, very, very good footballer. Obviously, he's had his own injury problems and, and those issues, but I think benefits hugely from playing alongside Van Dijk. And, you know, Conate as well at, at the moment is obviously the future uh, for Liverpool on the, the right-hand side of, of the centre-back uh, partnership. But again, how much will he have, have learned and, and developed from playing with him? So he's obviously raised the standards for himself and he's never really going to live up to that again. I don't think he will get back to his absolute elite best ever sort of conversation um, in terms of, of centre-back. I don't think he's going to get back to that level, but it doesn't really matter because, as we'll come to, I still think he's he's right up there. Yeah, and I think that's a crucial point you make there about the impact he has on other players. I mean, obviously, Canate, we've not really seen a sustained run with him in the side um, on his own without Van Dijk, but I think when Van Dijk moves on, whenever that time is, and Canate is probably the one who then steps forward and becomes that yeah. defensive leader, it's going to be interesting to see to what extent he was kind of reliant on Van Dijk or emboldened by playing alongside him. And I think that's one of them cases with, similar to what you're seeing with players like Junior Wijnaldum where you only know what you've got when it's gone type thing. Um, 
And I think still to a degree, even though Van Dijk isn't the player absolutely that he once was, you still see sort of a little bit of disarray when he's not on the team. Not too dissimilar to what we saw before he actually arrived in that you know first half of the 17-18 season. I mean, there was a game against Aston Villa where Liverpool were very solid defensively. He was suspended for that one, but after the international break against Wolves, they were absolutely all over the place. You know, Gomez and Matip have broadly been very good this season, but that's probably the one game you look at for both of them and say they really struggled in that one. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you know, probably no coincidence that that Van Dijk uh, wasn't involved in that. So, kind of touched on it there, Matt. Let's get into kind of the crux of this then. I mean, comparing Van Dijk to some of his competitors in this position. Two players I've picked out to touch on a, a Saliba, like you've mentioned already, and, and Ruben Diaz. Is there, are there any other names that you'd throw in there, just in, in terms of the Premier League? Because obviously these are the players that, that we watch regularly. In terms of the Premier League, I think it's it's tricky. Um, I don't think there's, there's... Well, it's tricky anywhere, to be honest. I don't mm. think there is you know a huge amount of, of elite centre-backs at the moment. I think we've kind of lost a couple recently who've, who've retired or moved into to lesser leagues. And yeah. I think Hamrit Laporte, probably at his best, was mm. one that was on Liverpool's list when they signed Van Dijk. Obviously, Man City get him as, as a kind of alternative. Beyond you know Saliba, Diaz, maybe throw John Stones in there, but... He's, he's kind of more of a, a trend comparison, yeah. given the, the position that he plays. You know, beyond that, you, you are really struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen a couple of shouts for Christian Romero. I can't remember who it was. It was one of the pundits said that over the weekend, but there's not there's no comparison for me to be yeah. made there. The, the the coolness and the calmness is, is certainly mm-hmm. not there with him, and it, it definitely is with Van Dijk. Um, so yeah, you, you go around. You know, some of the top teams. Manchester United don't have anybody of, of that level. They've got huge problems in, in that position. Uh, Chelsea have got one or two. I think there's there's maybe a couple of, of their younger ones who, who could potentially go on. I think Wesley Fofana is an excellent player, yeah. but again, you, you talk about injuries. He's had mm-hmm. a couple of, of big ones. So, you know, what what sort of level is is he going to be at? Beyond that, there's not there's not loads. Um, there's good centre backs in the Premier League, but I don't think there's. There's any who are at Van Dyke's level, and to be honest, the ones that I think have got the most potential, apart from Saliba and Diaz, are probably at Liverpool. I think Canate is probably right up there in terms yeah. of could take that next step and, and reach that level. You know, beyond that, there's not loads, and you know, even even Manchester City beyond beyond that, you'd look at someone like Akanji, Ake. You know, they're, they're good players, they're solid players, but yeah. they're not they're not Van Dyke levels of you know, elite world-class centre-backs. They're just kind of probably more than functional, but you know what I mean? It's, it's more that they're kind of in there for the solidity rather than being absolutely elite. Yeah, I think, you know, there's probably one or two other players you could potentially mention. I mean, the two that kind of sprung to mind as you were talking there, um, one of them was Vardial, but yeah. I, I think a bit early in his career to be kind of putting them in those conversations. Don't get me wrong, he could be absolutely up there, you know, you mentioned Canate, that they could be the two preeminent ones at some point in the league. I also think that he's played a decent amount of football as a left back this year, as opposed to playing central um, with Guardiola's system. Um, and then the other one would be someone at the opposite end of his career in Thiago Silva, who I think can't really be factored in because you know he's, he's 39 and it's not really a, a comparison of players in their primes. But he is still, I think he was very good against yeah. Arsenal last weekend. And I think he's someone who kind of sets the bar really for players like Van Dijk in terms of his longevity. I mean, it's hard to imagine Van Dyke still doing it at 39, but certainly, you know, mid-30s maybe, you know, you know, can he kind of reach the same level? Um, so if we're picking out Saliba and Diaz then, I mean, how do you think those two stack up against Van Dyke? Not necessarily prime Van Dyke, but the current version that we're saying. I think Diaz is probably 
broadly similar. I think mm. those two are, for me, Van Dijk and, and Diaz. Saliba, good player, but I haven't seen enough to, to suggest that he could be at that level. Um, maybe that's a little bit, in, maybe it's biased a little bit by the teams that they play in. I've not seen Arsenal get to the level that Manchester City and Liverpool have been at for the last few seasons. So maybe maybe if Arsenal as a group were to, to take that next step, maybe then you'd see that next level from him as well. But I just think on the evidence of, of what I've seen so far, he's he's clearly an elite young player who's got the potential to, to take those steps. But I just don't think he has actually taken those steps just yet. Mm. Um, you know, the, the, there's other, you know, Gabriel and, you know, various others around him, but maybe that doesn't help as well that they're not necessarily, you know, elite players yeah. as well. Um, f- so for me, I mean, Diaz and, and Van Dijk, it's, it's kind of a toss-up for me between the two for who is the best. Saliba's probably the, the next one down and then the, the, there's probably not loads beyond that that I can think of that you know, maybe Saliba, Guardiola would be you know the next rung down and, and then yeah. you, you're probably having to, to go a couple of rungs down to get to the to the next kind of category of, of player. So I think it, it just shows really how, how few options there are in those centre-back areas. I mean, I, I picked out a couple of others from around the leagues, you'd look at Matthias De Ligt uh, at Bayern, Barcelona have got a couple of decent ones, um, Kim obviously went to Bayern yeah. and, and had a good good season with Napoli, obviously Real Madrid have got a couple of decent defenders, but you know, beyond that, Laporte, Ramos, Chiellini, none of them are, are at the top of the game anymore. There's there's not loads of, uh, of players, Thiago Silva as well is, is another one that you mentioned that's still very good, but I think it's fair to say is, is probably past his best at the age he is. You know, for sort of judging how good a Van, uh, how good a player Van Dijk is in his position, I think you've probably got to take that into account as well. That there's not, mm. there's not loads. There's a handful at best who are at that elite level. And for me, he's probably top one or two within that. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Whether it's the legendary lionesses, grassroots, or expert analysis of the women's leagues, women's football news has it all covered. A brand new monthly magazine packed with news, interviews and expert opinion. Don't miss Women's Football News. Pick up a copy today from participating retailers. Women's Football is here to stay. And so are we. Yeah, I think you make a very good point there about terms of the global picture at the moment. You know, you talk about, you know, in the summer, for example, there was a lot of talk of oh, the defensive midfield market isn't great this year. Or the striker market's not great this year. If you were going after like a top draw centre back, you know, if you were a Real Madrid, for example, then I think you might struggle a little bit yeah. based. I mean, just based on those players that you're rattling off there. I mean, obviously there's a few good ones, but when there's only kind of a concentrated amount, then it's obviously going to be a bit more of a scrap, and more players will emerge. But I think you know it does feel like a bit of a transition in terms of areas of great centre backs. I mean, the interesting thing with Saliba and Diaz is you know Saliba's 22, he's pre-peak. Diaz is probably right in his peak window. Van Dijk's probably slightly post-peak. But again, they're all sort of broadly on the same level, I'd say. I mean, I think I'd rate Saliba slightly higher than you. I think he's the most likely player. Um, maybe alongside Canate, but of all the centre-backs in Europe, I think he's the most likely to get closest, not necessarily the same level as Van Dijk, but the most likely to get closest to him in terms of that yeah. sort of ultimate level. Um, I think he looks like kind of, even if he's at a different club, he looks like a little bit of an heir to Van Dijk in that sense, in terms of that centre-back throw. And I just think... You know, you watch him and the way he dominates duels and very rarely makes a mistake. And you find yourself watching these players. It's sort of like Trent Alexander-Arnold and Reese James. You find yourself watching them and when they're compared to Liverpool players so much, 
you almost watch them with extra scrutiny because you want to see kind of those little you know chinks yeah. in their armor, yeah. which seems a little bit like you know you can use it as a ground spot band like ahead of them, but they don't really give you an inch in that regard either of them. I think Diaz. Certainly from what I've seen of him is a little bit of a different style of defender. He's probably more aggressive than Van Dyke. We talked about how Van Dyke's very calm, but in his own way, he's still obviously top class. I think it's a little bit... He's in a slightly different situation where he obviously won the uh, player of the season a couple of years ago um, when, when City won the title. But I think since then, he hasn't really kind of been... He's had a couple of injuries, but it doesn't necessarily start every single week because Guardiola obviously rotates it, but within that group of centre-backs that you mentioned, he is the standout one. And obviously City, you know, a few people would dispute the idea that they're the best team in the world at the moment, and he is kind of their primary centre-back, so definitely deserves to be in that discussion. So I think it's very close between all three at the moment, to be honest, and it's one of them where I don't think any of the fans of those teams would swap, you know, either of their players for Van Dijk, yeah. much as Liverpool wouldn't yeah. do the same. Um, for their own players so I think there's broadly parity there but I think with your kind of Liverpool hat on you still just about give Van Dijk the edge as much as you know the fans of other teams would do the exact same um, and, for their own players and you mentioned Thiago Silva before Van Dijk's what 32 yeah um, there's still there's still a few years left of him at this yeah. level I think it's not a case of he declined last season and that's going to continue I think you know he's, he's obviously improved as we've discussed I can see him being the level he is now for at least two, three years, maybe yeah. maybe a little bit more, um, which will obviously play into the, the contract mm. decision that Liverpool have got, which I don't think is really a decision, to be honest. Yeah. I think that will probably happen. Um, but, you know, th- th- there's, there's, there's clearly a level that he's found this season, which I would, I'd be fairly confident of, of him sustaining. And Liverpool are going to have to go out and, and buy another centre-back, but they do have you know, decent options there to, to come around yeah. him as well. So maybe there can be a little bit of, of that Diaz type thing where, you know, they don't use him quite so much. They've got other options and maybe you get a little yeah. bit more longevity out of him that way as well. Yeah, I think the contract one is, is interesting because probably at the start of the season, it looked a little bit like, well, hang on, if he has another season like last year, then what yeah. should you do? But yeah. already, I think, you know, like you mentioned, Matt, hasn't really played too much. I mean, he's made, what is it? Um eight appearances so far this season but already within those games I think he's been able to kind of reassert himself and show that last season was uh, more than likely a blip just to finish then I mean obviously we've looked at the Premier League how does Van Dijk reassert himself at the top you know right at the top of that centre-back pyramid really like obviously Liverpool are in the Champions League this year which probably hurts him in that regard and and if you were there Van Dijk would this kind of matter to you the fact that you were recognised almost universally as the best, not only of the current generation, but one of the best ever. And now everyone's kind of dragging you back down towards the back a little bit. Yeah, I mean, his legacy, I think, will probably always be looked at pre and post injury. Mm. I don't think that's necessarily fair, as we spoke about with Jamie Carragher's Telegraph column before. I think that, you know, he he was very good after the injury for for a season, and then it kind of caught up with him a little bit. It's not quite as, as clear cut as that, but I do think the period was probably not as long as what some centre-backs have been at the top four, but the period where he was the best, comfortably but the best in the world, I don't think there's there's been many centre-backs who've reached that level. Yeah. Um, obviously, you can probably go back a, a long way and, and think of, of two or three examples, but it's it, it's really in short supply of, of players who've reached that genuinely, you know, by a distance, the best centre-back in the world. You know, Manchester City spent loads of money on, on a few different players, the poor Diaz, you know, the, the level that Van Dijk was at was another level above that. Um, so 
for me, the, the legacy is, is kind of secured. It's more a case of how long can he sustain it for now? How long does does he get to, to be Liverpool captain and not Liverpool captain in a way that Jordan Henderson would have been Liverpool captain of rotation and kind of you're the club yeah. captain, but you're not really there playing every single week. I think, as I say, there's there's at least two or three more seasons after this one of him being the first name on the team sheet for a Premier League or a Champions League game, hopefully as it will be you know, for, for next season. I, you know, in terms of reasserting himself as, as the best, I think it's it, it it's that consistency. If he just yeah. does, if he avoids injury and he does basically what we've seen him do in the eight games he's played this season, yeah. if he does that for the rest of, of this season, that, that'll do me. I, I don't think you can really ask for, for much more than that. The level he's at now is is still world-class. It's still one of the best out there, as we've discussed. So basically, it's it's that, isn't it? continue to do what he's doing now for as long as he can and if he does that I think Liverpool will win trophies and, and therefore his legacy will be, be even more sort of emboldened Yeah and I think obviously those even if they are collective achievements those you know trophies always enhance the players like I see I mean when people talk about the best sort of centre-backs in the Premier League you know it's it's Terry Ferdinand Vidic players like that company they've all won multiple Premier Leagues and yeah. Dyke's obviously only won one up to this point which Rightly or wrongly hurts him, but he's obviously hopefully going to have a couple more opportunities to do that at Liverpool. And just it's just interesting to think about, really, over the span of his career. He's always had those rivals. I mean, he came in and it was Laporte, probably, who was the one. Yeah. Then it was obviously Diaz when, when he arrived at City and had that, you know, player of the season campaign. And now it's Saliba. But Van Dijk's the one constant in that discussion, really. I mean, even all the players you mentioned in Europe as well, none of them were sort of kind of around, really, when, when Van Dijk was... Um, in sort of his peak phase or just joining Liverpool or they certainly weren't particularly well known at that point and that shows that as much as he isn't necessarily the same player he was a few years ago he is still kind of showing a, a longevity that maybe has been a little bit underestimated too. He's still the benchmark as well I, I imagine obviously Matthias De Ligt probably would pick him because same nationality yeah. but you know if, if you asked you know Kim or you know Rudiger or whoever I'm pretty sure Van Dijk would still be, you know, the the one that they would kind of maybe not base their game on, but kind of base the level that they want to be if they want to be seen as the best defender in the world. I still think he is the one that, that most people would look at and think, yeah, that's the one I've got to be better than. Yeah, and I think really you can look at most sort of centre backs and there's gonna be comments that they've made at some point about how they watch Van yeah. especially young ones that you know, they watch Van Dijk, they try and study his game, they admire him, they you know, they recognise him uh, as one of the kind of modern greats in his position definitely um but yeah i think that's the closest we're going to get to a sort of definitive verdict on this one because it is obviously uh, very difficult to make these comparisons so we will leave it there uh, for this week's podcast thanks very much everyone for listening make sure you listen back to last week's episode as well where we took a deep dive into the sporting director situation at liverpool we were very comprehensive in that one so that's definitely worth a listen if you get a chance and also Check out all the written content that goes up on Liverpool.com and all, obviously, the video content on the Blood Red channel ahead of the Premier League game against Nottingham Forest at the weekend. We'll be back next week for another podcast and we'll see you then. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.